With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston, and tonight I'm joined by Tom Gower of Football Outsiders to kick off our uh, 2019 NFL season preview slash AFC South season preview. You know, if you listen to the podcast, you heard me talk to Tom two years ago, and uh, last year I was unable to, so I'm really excited to do this again this year. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Tom? Great, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, as always. And if you if you don't know, Tom writes for Football Outsiders. He wrote the both the Titans and Colts chapter in the 2019 Football Outsiders Almanac. And I think I've read this book for like eight years or so now. And if you haven't read it, go out and get it. It's really great. Uh, you'll, learn a lot time, you'll learn a lot from it. The writing's really awesome. And there's always like, I don't know, probably like 75 different things or 100 different things I've learned. And uh, it's also a really great fantasy football resource too. So to start off with the Tennessee Titans, since 2016, the record's been 9-7, 9-7, and 9-7. This included one playoff appearance and one playoff win against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, during that run, their DVOA went from 3.5% to get 5.7%, and then uh, improved a little bit last year underneath Mike Vrabel to get 4.9%. This offseason, they replaced Matt LaFleur, at offensive coordinator, with Arthur Smith after LaFleur left for Green Bay. They also, in free agency, signed Adam Humphreys, Roger Saffold, Cameron Wake, and Ryan Tannehill. In the NFL draft, they added Jeffrey Simmons in the first round, but he probably won't play this year after tearing his ACL in the pre-draft process. And they also drafted A.J. Brown in the second round, too. So, Tom, do you think the Titans did enough to go from mediocre to good or mediocre to even great? And are you expecting them to finally get to that 10 or 11 win mark this season and really kind of solidify themselves as a playoff team instead of needing some lucky breaks to get there? Yeah, the the... Titans mantra this offseason has been, has been uh, from good to great. And they're talking about the transition from going from those three years of nine and seven to finally becoming one of the real Super Bowl contenders. The problem with that is that by FO numbers, they've been much more average than good. And, they're, and they've yet to really make a breakthrough. The offense, one of the things that research at FO has shown is that changing coordinators often results in a step back in the offense in year one. Obviously, the Rams showed in Sean McVay's first year that isn't always the case, but a lot of times that is. The Titans, we saw some of that last year with the Titans with under Matt LaFleur in his first and what turned out to be only season as offensive coordinator, and we'll probably see some more changeover and some more growing pains this year with Arthur Smith. So it's our DVOA projections for the offense are actually moderately bullish. I believe we have them 12th in the league, which isn't as good as they were in the two, in 2016. But that that's one of the things that will really determine if, they, if they're good enough. If you look personnel-wise, they didn't make a lot of changes. They changed over the starting guards. They added to their depth at receiver. And uh, Brian Arakbo and Derek Morgan really fell off last year, so they're looking to change it outside linebacker. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they but they lost two veterans and they only added one in Wake. So it's really a lot. And uh, and those Smiths a new coordinator. He's he kept the same playbook as Lafour and based on the first two preseason games, it looks like a roughly similar. It looks like they're going to do roughly similar things on offense. So it's the same players running the same schemes on both offense and defense with a little with. By modern NFL standards, not a lot of personnel changer. So why on earth do you think the Titans should be any different than they've been in years past? And you know the mantra of going from good to great is about internal improvement and 
doing more with the same thing that you have. And that's really where the Titans have to make a step forward if they want to make that good to great transition. And an area I want to highlight in particular here that we may, that you may want to go into later is the defense, which is really esteemed personnel-wise. If you look at something like Mike Clay of ESPN, he's the big fantasy football guy, but he has unit-based rankings of all the defenses in the NFL. And the Titans are one of his you know, top five defenses. The Titans were, th- were eight last year by yards allowed, which is the NFL's traditional measure of ranking defenses. They were third in points allowed because they're really good in the red zone and they didn't have a lot of possessions because of the way they played offense. But by FO numbers, they haven't been, they've been in the great muddled middle among def- among NFL defenses. And they have the potential based on the resources that have been invested in the position to be a lot better. So, But, you know, they just concluded uh, joint practices with the Patriots and some of the things that you heard from the New England people was, I thought Tennessee would be, was better than this. <laughs> so we'll, so I'm not real optimistic about the, about this version of the Titans being fundamentally different than the version of the Titans that we've seen in the recent past. But as I said about our FL predictions, sometimes it does come together for given teams and the Titans could be one of those. Yeah. So by, by the sound of it, it sounds like continuity is what they're banking on to make that jump from good to great and keeping the same sort of offensive scheme. Uh, Dean Pease was also a brand new defensive coordinator last year and he'll still be here. And Mike Vrabel is a new coach as well too. Um, one of the things I think about the tight ends, just looking at this roster, is they don't they don't have like a ever really see a core competency. They have a lot of talent just kind of slathered all across the roster. I think John Robinson is like built you know a solid roster, but there's not like a really dominant position group anywhere there. Uh, he really hasn't like chosen pockets of the teams to invest talent into. But I do think the one aspect of their team that could be great uh, this all this season is their rushing offense. Last year they finished eleventh in DVOA. And Henry was second in the league at, with a rushing offense uh, DVOA of 23.1%. And so I know in your write-up on the Titans for the, the Football Outsiders Almanac, you had a table indicating the difference in Henry from the first half to the second half of the season. And I, I specifically want to high, uh, highlight also the last four games of the year. Henry had 585 yards and 87 carries, which comes out to 6.72 yards in attempt. And he had seven touchdowns. And yeah, the, those numbers kind of happen whenever you have a 9-9-yard touchdown run where you stiff arm. Uh, three Jacksonville defenders and kind of carry all, yourself all the way across the universe. But I, I do think Henry was a different back at the second half of the year, especially the last uh, month. So what do you think was the biggest difference in Henry's performance from the first half of the season, the second half of the season, and also in the last month of the 2018 season? Yeah, uh, Henry played like a different type of runner. He'd been effective at times he'd been a real big boom runner when he managed to find space to the outside but for the first couple seasons of his nfl career he didn't work he didn't run well between the tackles uh he was too easily tripped up by leg contact and he really he was only a he was only really a good player when he got ahead of steam going and especially when he could unleash his powerful stiff arm and the second half the, the last four games, they really recognized that their passing game limitations were potentially crippling, especially once Marcus left the lineup late in the year, and they had no choice but to give Henry the ball as often as possible. But the change really started uh, a couple, uh, really started a couple weeks before that, as I note in the book. Um, the catalyst seems to have been a meeting over the bye week with Eddie George, who outlined some of this who outlined some of what felt like some of the same criticisms I've been harping on about Henry's play for the past couple seasons that he was not an effective that he was too tentative a runner between the tackles he needed especially in the zones the one cut and go zone scheme he needed to really commit and go upfield and be more decisive running and to just run stronger because whatever else you want to say about Eddie George's career he always ran strong and it seemed like that was finally what it took for Henry to get going. And so, you know, it's Greg Cosell of NFL Films, the, who's been there for 40 years, does a weekly segment on Nashville Sports Radio. One of the things that he talked about was how Henry, the second half of last season, looked like a, diff, looked like a completely different version of Derrick Henry. And while players generally do not change who they are, sometimes it happens. And it looks like uh, we just saw it 
different version of Henry that we'd never seen before at Alabama or his first two and a half years in the league, that second half of last year, especially the last four games when they ran the offense through him. And I think the Titans are hoping that they get that same Derrick Henry this year and can run and can run the offense through and can run the offense through him until the rest of the pieces come together. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of the biggest difference, too, is that his ability to run the ball between the tackles. Uh, his rookie year, he averaged 3.62 yards a carry between the tackles. In 2017, he averaged 2.69 yards a carry. And last year, that number jumped up to 4.5 yards a carry. And he had uh, seven touchdowns as well, too. And the same offense, Deion Lewis averaged only 3.07 yards a carry. Uh, to the offensive line, like you mentioned, they did replace Rogers, They did replace Josh Klein and Quinn Spain with uh, Kevin Pamphiel, who was on the roster existing already. And they did draft Nate Davis as well, too, who can maybe uh, start guard instead. And they also paid for Roger Saffold to come here and start left guard. Uh, do you think the Titans' run, uh, run blocking is going to be as good as it was last season? Um, right guard is still an ongoing issue. It's probably going to be Kevin Pamphiel, as you know. I think they hoped for Davis to be able to come in and compete, but he's missed the last couple weeks of practice, including the both preseason games, so that's not going to happen. And it, and, it, and it seemed like a long shot coming from my lower level of program at uh, Charlotte. And Pam Feel is a placeholder. I don't think he'll be that much of a drop off from Klein, but I don't think he'll be a strength. Uh, Quentin Spain, I thought, actually played pretty well at left guard last year. The problem that he had was he was a, he was a, good at blocking the guy who was right in front of him, mm -hmm. but he was not that great at the second level. And I think that's where the, that's where the, you really want to see the upgrade from Saffold. I think that's where you really see the upgrade from Saffold uh, getting up and picking up linebackers. And I think the Titans will look to run a, a lot, run left a lot behind uh, Saffold and Taylor Lewan once, once he returns from his suspension for the first four games. Yeah, and I know uh, Luan, I think, is really underrated as a run blocker because he's a left tackle, and he'll be missing games against Jacksonville, Atlanta, uh, Cleveland, and Indianapolis. How much of an impact do you think his departure is going to be? And you think Dennis Kelly can fill in you know, even adequately whenever Luan's suspended? Kelly actually played. Uh, Kelly played really well on the right side last year, uh, filling in for Jack Conklin, who missed a lot of times and wasn't that great. If right now Conklin, a, a year, re uh, another year removed from the ACL injury he suffered in the game against the playoffs, against the Patriots in the playoffs at the end of the 2017 season, he looks a lot more stable and confident. So I think definitely game planning around Kelly's limitations, especially against the Browns and Miles Garrett week one, will be a focus for Arthur Smith. But at the same time, you know, he played well last year. He's not Lawan. They won't be able to run. He definitely won't be able to run block and get out in space. I don't see them running, you know, pin and pull with Kelly the way they uh, the way they can with Lawan. But I think they should be reasonably effective, even if not even if they aren't as good as they'd otherwise have be with Lawan. Okay, um, and also one of the other weird things about this rushing offense last year. Uh, was that, well, I guess there's a few weird things about the rushing offense last year. One, they ran the ball a ton. They ran the ball mostly out of two tight end personnel. They ran the ball against a bunch of heavy boxes, too. And also, they gave Deion Lewis a bunch of carries. He had 155 last year. On these carries, he had DVOA negative 20.1%. And he averaged 1.6 less yards a carry than Henry. Uh, why did Lewis have such a bad year last year? And how much of it do you think it was kind of the situations LeFleur put in? And you think Arthur Smith can use him in a better fashion? Yeah, uh, Lewis actually had a really interesting first half of the season to second half of the season split. Um, the first half of the season, he really, he and Henry really split time, and Lewis was actually pretty effective. He was he had a pretty similar DVOA to uh, Henry. This it was just the second half of the year he completely fell off. He was I think he had about a minus thirty five percent rushing DVOA the second half of the year. Part of that was he got a lot of the carries in bad rushing situations, like second and long, which was a time, which was a time of the game where the Titans really loved to run. And, you know, with they, he'd get all the third down give up draws, and he wouldn't get the somewhat mm -hmm. more efficient first and ten runs, which started to prime, predominantly go to Henry, especially those last four games. But I think he's a back where 
he's not really you can use you can give him 25 carries if you want to but that's not really a good idea even if you look in new england he was he was in the he had a lot of 3.5 yard per carry games when he got the heavy workloads with not that good efficiency so he, i don't think he's this kind of back that you should want to run your offense to but he does present more of an every down flavor than henry and i think you'll see him a lot on passing downs okay cool um, yeah, and, and the the weird thing also about the Titans offense too, last year Matt LaFleur comes in after being one of the, the Sean McVay protégés to come in through the league and receive uh, play calling duties at a younger age. And last year the Titans offense was worse than it was underneath Mike Malarkey's uh, smash mouth offense. And so much is made of, you know, the Titans running an archaic system, uh, how their offense is bad, how Malarkey's holding Mariota back, uh, how this entire, you know, offensive setup is kind of stupid and, uh, the the modern NFL that we live in, or that's out there right now. And so underneath LaFleur, the offense got worse. Uh, it was kind of strange to watch too. And so what were some of the problems that you saw with the Titans offense over all 16, over all 17 weeks last year? Uh, the Titans realized at some point for some reason that they had no chance of becoming an efficient NFL passing offense. It's, it depends. What we're really not sure about is when they figured this out and what the cause was. The two major possible reasons they decided this are, number one, uh, Marcus suffered a th- suffered a nerve injury to his throwing arm in, in the week one game against Miami. Uh, he was out for week two. He could barely throw the ball in week three and had to come in and uh, for Blaine Gabbert and an injury, and they managed to win that game against Jacksonville, even though he couldn't really throw. But it would, but it lingered all year. I mean, that was the same injury that knocked him out. Excuse me, knocked him out in Week 16, and left him unable to play against the Colts in that uh, wild card or bust game in the season finale. So it's possible that that's why they uh, they decided they couldn't pass and shouldn't try to. And the other reason was they went into the season with extremely limited uh, depth at wide receiver and uh, their only veteran wide receiver, Richard Matthews basically quit on the team th- uh, three, four weeks into the season about the same time that uh, Mariota was coming back with his injured throwing arm. So after that, so after the last, for, for the last 13 weeks, they knew they couldn't pass and they didn't really try to. Then uh, they had the outside of Seattle, who was, cra- who was apparently crazy because of Brian Schottenheimer. They had mm-hmm. basically the most run-oriented game plan in the NFL. And that's why you saw one of the focuses of this offseason by John Robinson adding a couple receivers who are potent, who seem likely to play big roles. AJ Brown's missed a good chunk of training camp, but he finally played in the first pre. He finally played against the Patriots after coming back for the joint practices. And they also added Adam Humphreys, who is a frequent Mariota target in the preseason opener, and who gives them a slot option. They just didn't. They just didn't have a slot option who could effectively take away the of the two way go possibility last year, and that's something that they really needed, especially when they also lost Delaney Walker as a middle of the field threat in the season opener. Yeah, so their receiving group this year is Corey Davis, AJ Brown, Taewon Taylor, uh, which names that you've I guess have heard of before, and they also added Adam Humphreys from Tampa Bay as that slot receiver uh, addition, and a, a guy that he decided to go to Tennessee instead of New England as well, too. And Walker will be back this year. Jonah Smith was, you know, he was okay uh, as his replacement last season, too. So do you think this is the best group of wide receivers Mariota has had in his career? And also, do you think this is the year that Corey Davis finally breaks out after being a uh, top-ten pick two years ago? Uh, second question first. Number one, uh, Corey Davis has by all accounts, looked really good in camp. Um, Teron Davenport, the guy who covers him for ESPN, named him the training camp MVP. It's, and he'll definitely play a big role in the offense. Uh, the other question is, will that constitute a breakout season? And the answer is in that I think that depends on what you're looking for as a breakout season because – the Titans are probably going to run the offense through Derrick Henry. They're probably not going to be a high high pass volume team, and the competition for targets is going to be a lot stiffer uh, with the addition of Humphreys and the return of Delaney Walker and uh, 
finally have and having some sort of credible option to throw to other than Davis. The Titans really, you know, they trotted out Tajay Sharp and Taewon Taylor out there last year, but they didn't uh, sign Humphreys and draft Brown because they were really happy or should have been really happy with how uh, uh, Sharp and Taylor played. So I, it's not clear to me that uh, Davis is going to have the volume that you'd that he'd need to have that to have you know eighty catches and twelve hundred yards. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. I was thinking like a as far as like a breakout season goes, maybe like a thousand yards and you know eight touchdowns or so. That kind of seems typically nowadays like a a good season from a number one wide receiver. Yeah, and it's I I just don't know where the how much volume he's going to get because typically. You know, uh, Chase Stewart, who runs the stats site Football Perspective, highlighted that the number one receiver is, the, is by far the most productive on most teams. The Colts are a really obvious example with T.Y. Hilton and the junk that Andrew Luck was playing with last year. But there were two exceptions to that. One of them was the Bears, whose number, who's apparent number one right out wideout Allen Robinson didn't play all year and the other was the Titans and if you look at you know receiving DVOA for the Titans top five pass catchers they were all relatively equal even though you often see the Lafleur, McVay Shanahan offense uh really give their top receiver really high volume so you know maybe you know it's so they're if you look at it the right way, you could think, you know, this is going to be a really big year for Corey Davis, but I'm kind of skeptical about that. Okay, and do you think this is the best receiver group Mariota has had the chance to throw to? Uh, it almost has to be, just because of how bad they've been the last four or five years. The Titans have had persistent depth issues at wide receiver, counting on counting on rookies for key roles with no plan B if those rookies haven't been great players taught you know 2015 they only kept four receivers three of and uh, three of them were really inconsistent 2016 Tajay Sharp a fifth round rookie started every game uh, 2017 they basically didn't have their top three receivers they basically had their top three receivers coming into the season for a game and a half for two and a half games for injury-related reasons. And last year, as I've noted, they had no receiving depth at all. So this, on paper and in practice, this should be by far the best group of pass-catching catch, options he has, even if you think it's only the 25th best group of pass-catching options in the league. Yeah. Well, I mean, not that not, I'm not going to do a formal ranking. I don't know where I, exactly where I'd put the Titans in terms of receiving core, but... Even if they're bad, they're still better than what he's been throwing to. Yeah, it's much different than you know, like two years ago where Rashard Matthews' ability to block downfield was probably the most exciting thing about the receiving group. Yeah, it's they should have they should have options and there's and there's they're not limited if they suffer one injury. So so for Mariota this year, this is the fifth year of his career. Uh, this is his last year on his contract with the Titans after having his fifth-year option picked up last season. And like Jameis Winston, Tampa Bay, they're both kind of like entering make-or-break seasons for the teams that drafted him. Uh, as you mentioned, injuries play a big role in his decline last season. He threw only 11 touchdowns. He threw eight interceptions. His past DVA dropped from negative 3.3% to negative 8.5% 27th. Uh, he didn't throw the ball downfield very often last season. He was sacked 14, 42 times. And as you mentioned earlier as well, too, uh, that same nerve injury that he suffered, ended up resuffering and re-injuring in Washington, took him out of that week, week 17 winning it in-game against the Colts, and Blaine Gabbard started it instead, and that ended their season. So are you expecting for Mariota to bounce back this year? Uh, do, and also, do you buy into this whole idea that he added muscle to his frame? He's up to like 230 pounds, you th- and he can suffer you know, bigger hits and, and that sort of thing too. Um. You know, I think the first thing they want to see for him is to, for him to be out there all 16 games. But I think ultimately they've probably really made up their mind on him and that this will be his final season in Tennessee. I'm not really buying that more muscle will make much of a difference. I think it's probably the case that some guys just don't can't handle hits the same way and that he's one of the guys who gets banged up uh, more easily in 
more often. Um, but the problem with this is, even if, if they wanted to move on from Mariota, is what are your is what are you doing next? Their their backups the past couple of years have been awful. They went from Zach Mettenberger to the Matt Castle to Blaine Gabbert. Those are guys who've been repeatedly who've been tried repeatedly, and they can't even play. They can't. They couldn't even play acceptably in a filling in for Marcus or in a in a one or two game sample size. There is no chance that they'd have that they'd be the long term answer. So they basically so that you come to the fifth year option and you think, okay, are we going to be able to find a a quarterback that we'd actually want to play, or would and or that we'd actually want to pay? And is there a guy that? You know, it would actually make sense to pay, and they're kind of basically got stuck with Marcus. My fever dream scenario, my fever dream crazy scenario, was the Titans would trade Marcus this off season. But there's no team that would really be. But the same reason the Titans aren't willing to extend him long term is the same reason that teams aren't willing to. Uh, well, teams wouldn't be willing to give up serious compensation for him. And you know, you look at the reports that came out of Jacksonville last year. They signed Nick Foles. Yeah, we could have paid him less money, but we paid him more because that way the locker room knows that he's the starting quarterback and they actually have to pay attention to him. So it's not like it, it's not like there was a team that was desperate for ju- to just have an av- a potentially average starter this year who, you know, your guru may be able to fix. It's if you look league wide, basically every team has some sort of hope at quarterback and it's the teams that they either have an average quarterback or a guy they hope will be a better than average quarterback. And, you know, I may really disagree with – we may really disagree with what Buffalo thinks Josh Allen is likely to be, but there's no real destination to move on from Marcus. And so the Titans were basically stuck with him, even though they're probably done with him after this year. And it's hard to see a scenario where he comes back unless he just plays – terrific and it is healthy all season which you know that would be a sort of transformation and change in who he is reminiscent of derrick henry's and players and that doesn't normally happen yeah and uh, and i think also adding on to that too that the kind of the biggest the worst thing you can do as far as the team playing perspective goes is paying a mediocre quarterback 30 million dollars uh you know we saw what happened in baltimore we saw happen in detroit uh, we may be seeing that in Minnesota as well, too, depending on how Kirk Cousins bounced back this year as well. But uh, it really, take, giving up that much of your cap space to a quarterback who doesn't make its offensive line better, its receivers better, its running attack better, uh, is really kind of like the easiest path to going 6-10 and 10 and 7-9 and nine and, uh, and really ruining your, t- your chances to build a, a playoff team or even a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, and I... And Ryan Tannehill at least gives them a guy who could be a bridge quarterback if they don't get a high pick or if they draft a guy just in the middle or if they draft a Dwayne Haskins type prospect who might succeed in time, but you would prefer not to throw him in the lineup if you don't have to. Even though Tannehill's only signed through this year, they would at least have the first option of getting of uh, signing of signing him to a next contract. And, you know, there, you've since you've seen media reports lately that there's a real quarterback competition going on in Tennessee, and the people actually in Tennessee are saying. And if you pay any attention at all to the statements that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel have made in the past five, have made in the past five months since they picked up Tannehill, you think Marcus is the starter. There's he's going to start week one, barring injury. And then we go from there. If the type, you know, I'm not saying there's no chance Marcus gets benched, a healthy Marcus gets benched for Ryan Tannehill this year, but there's right now no quarterback competition. Yeah, yeah, because I've been reading that a lot of those rumors and reports too that, you know, Tannehill and Mariota, uh, that maybe Tannehill starts week one instead. Uh, and I, I guess from what you're saying, it's not very likely. But could you see a situation where, you know, Marcus Mariota goes out with an elbow injury and Tannehill takes over week four? And just starts as the quarterback for the rest of the year. Like, how high are you on Tannehill as a quarterback? And does anything like that seem even likely at all in Tennessee? Uh, by DVOA, Tannehill has been a pretty consistently below or below average quarterback for his entire career. He's he had one slightly above average season when the Dolphins made the playoffs. He had a really bad season last year. I think part of that 
a lot of that was down to the offensive line. The Dolphins were actually worse than the Texans at picking up defensive back blitzes. And so teams just brought defensive backs all the time and short-circuited the offense. Tannehill's kind of like, he's a more accurate Jake Locker. He doesn't really process well. He He's he's a tentative thrower. He's not well, he's more accurate than Locker. He's not hyper-accurate, and he doesn't like to throw to the middle of the field. He looks for cl- clear uh, reads on the on the numbers. You know, he has that. He can force throws outside better than Mariota can, but I don't see a lot to recommend him as an option as a long-term starter. He's a he's probably in the Ryan Fitzpatrick level of the 25th to 35th best quarterback in the league, high-end backup, below-average uh, below starter that you're not going to commit to long-term. But that's a lot better than Castle and Gabbard and Mettenberg. <laughs> yeah. I think the one uh, good thing for Tanhill in the offense, if he, does, if he is able to play or ends up playing at all, uh, is the fact that he, is, he, has been, he has a good arm and he can throw some deep pass as well. I think that's kind of one of the frustrating things about watching Mariota play is that he doesn't really push the ball downfield, and usually whenever he does, he's running up in the pocket and throwing with with four with uh, four momentum to make those throws downfield. Whereas Ryan Tannehill is more of that uh, kind of that, that strong arm guy who can stand in pressure and kind of deliver some absurd throws. And whenever you have that as a complement to what may be a really great rushing attack, uh, that's at least like interesting. It's not like good but over you know the course of you know, 35 throws a game, but at least it's interesting to have some big play potential there. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things about Marcus that's so frustrating is that he sometimes flashes the ability within the design of the offense to attack downfield, but the Titans aren't a very fast team at wide receiver. When they drafted A.J. Brown, they thought, you know, they might draft they might instead draft his Ole Miss teammate, DK Metcalf, who pre- who would present much more of a ver- of a true vertical threat. Uh, the only guy they really have who presents the possibility right now is Taewon Taylor, and they're reasonably and they're reasonably not high on Taewon Taylor. Except except I and you know I'm I'm not even sure he'll be active for games on a regular basis, especially because he doesn't really add any special teams value. So it's sort of like. So they have a quarterback who won't naturally throw downfield, who's not naturally aggressive throwing into tight windows, and a receiving core that doesn't present much of a vertical speed element. And so that's not a formula for getting off the big chunk plays, which puts a premium on how efficient you can be in all aspects of the game, which is fine when you're the Patriots and not if you're most other teams. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to the offense all before we start talking about Dean Pease's defense and Mike Grable's defense, I should say? Uh, I don't know what they're going to do if Derrick Henry uh, if Derrick Henry misses significant time because of I'm not sure they ha- they have a good backup on the roster. Uh, they are leading the guy who's been the lead back with Henry out for the first two preseason games is Jeremy McNichols and Mike. Frable is visibly not high on him. So I'm sure they'll add a back. You know, if Kenneth Dixon gets cut in Baltimore and he's available, then I think they'd be interested in him. And But that guy's not on the roster right now, I don't think. Interesting. Um, well, so for the Titans defense, their, their defense is weird mainly because the amount of investment that they had in their secondary. Uh, you know, they gave Kevin Bayard a, a giant contract extension. This past offseason, they also used free agency to sign Logan Ryan. They signed Malcolm Butler. They used a top 15 pick on Adoree Jackson as well, too. And last year, they were, you know, they had a below average pass defense, as they've typically had in previous years. Um, last season, they finished 21st in pass defense DVOA at 9.4%. Uh, how much of this bad pass defense do you credit with the secondary? And how, how much of it do you credit with the pass rush? Because they were 26 in pressure rate. And Brian Rackpro and Derek Morgan, they both just retired, like you mentioned earlier. They combined for two sacks, 13 quarterback hits, and 32 pressures. So if they do see a, an improvement in pass rush with Cameron Wake and Harold Landry instead, do you think the secondary is good enough here to make up for it and be able to jolt this pass defense maybe to uh, something above average? Uh, I hope so. Um, it was Morgan and Rackpro basically just their injuries caught up to him and they ran out of gas. Neither of them had any juice as a pass rusher last year. And that was a 
big loss. They were really they both played reasonably well the year before. Uh, they both played well over the course of the careers, but they just neither of them did much of anything last year, and that really hurt the defense. They helped the Titans finish well in second level sacks. They got a lot which are sacks from uh, inside linebackers and from the secondary. That's something that uh, Dean Pease has done a lot over the course of his career in New England and Baltimore before coming to Tennessee. But it's not ideal, and hopefully they'll get a lot more. Um, the secondary I struggle with. They signed Malcolm Butler to a big money uh, free agency contract last year, and he I don't know what his standout trait is athletically. I don't really see that he has one. Um, and I think one of the things that you saw in his transition to Tennessee is just in New England, they were able to cover. It seemed like New England was a little bit better coached, a little bit, a, bit, a little bit better coordinated. They were, and they were, they were better at playing together, which I think lets players who don't have a standout trait accomplish more um quarters coverage was a particular issue uh, they have a long touchdown against quarters in week one against miami and this uh against philadelphia in week six i think it was in san diego or excuse me against the chargers against the chargers uh the week or two after that and you know butler was uh, eventually uh taken out of the starting lineup in favor of Dory Jackson and Logan Ryan. He played in outside of nickel, which, you know, was the primary personnel grouping, and he played well the second half of the season. But by then, it's sort of like, okay, we paid you $13 million a year to do what exactly? <laughs> which was frustrating. Dory Jackson remains a great athlete and not a great cornerback. Um, he's, you know, he First preseason game, he gave up a touchdown to, uh, shoot, who was that? Uh, Sony Michelle's brother, I believe it was, who's a depth wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, he was in a good position, tried to make a play on the ball. He's he's actually real. He's actually surprisingly effective going up against bigger receivers. He had some good plays that game, but you know, T.Y. Hilton toasted him a lot. Um, in the game again, in the games against the Colts last year, and he can, and he's one of the court, and he's one of the corners who can match Hilton in terms of both agility and long speed. So that's not exactly what you what you would think happen. Uh, Logan Ryan, you know, terrific, uh, terrific slot player, uh, broke his leg late last year. Uh, seems to have recovered just fine. Uh, no real worries about him. It's just don't expect him to be your number one corner, and you'll be happy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. I think, I mean, I think the secondary here is can be good if uh, Bayard still keeps playing the same level. And I think most importantly, though, it does come to uh, the edge rushing, the fact that they have to get you know something out of it. Uh, Cameron Wake is going to be 37 this year, and every year of his career, he's still produced. I don't know if I would have uh, gone that. I don't know if I would have invested in a 37 year old edge rusher, but I mean, he's still been really good up to this point in his career. And this is the second year for Harold Landry. How do you see these two guys projecting in 2019? Are you expecting them to be, you know, like a good edge rushing duo? And um, are you expecting a lot of, uh, a lot of, or, and how do you think the Titans are going to use them? Do you think they're going to rush a lot more uh, for rush sets with them, you know, out wide against tackles? Or do you see uh, Dean Pease continue to blitz heavily this year? Um, Pease is always, Pease's background is that he's always been a multiple guy. And I imagine, you know, this will be the anti-Jim Schwartz. He won't just put him outside in the wide nine and tell him to just get after the quarterback. He'll 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 move guys around. Uh, Wake, I'd imagine they'll limit his snaps the same way Miami did. I'm not expecting him to pay more than to play more than 500 or 600 snaps and to concentrate on obvious pass rush situations and to, for him to sit a lot on you know first and ten. Outside of outside two minute drill and, and situations like that, um, you know, he's a year to year proposition. We haven't seen him in preseason games yet. They've been really giving him a lot of workload and maintenance days and training camp. So I haven't got I, and I'm not in Nashville, so I haven't gotten a chance to see him yet. Uh, Landry 
not played in either of the first two preseason games either, but he apparently has made the jump from year one to year two. He's added some weight. He looks thicker. I think they'll be more prepared and willing to play him on all situations and to really count on him to play the 800-plus snaps that we were hoping Morgan and Rackpo played last year. Um, the guy opposite Landry in base situations is probably going to be uh, second-year man Sharif Finch. He was an undrafted free agent last year. He looked good in a limited role. I think he played about 225 snaps, but he'll have to play a lot more than that this year. Uh, behind Finch, they have a lot of question marks. Uh, Fifth-round pick DeAndre Walker is on IR. He's out for the year with an injury. With an injury, they haven't bothered to tell us about. With an injury, they haven't bothered to tell us about. Uh, Camille Correa, veteran outside linebacker, played for Dean Pease for a long time. Uh, he's really under strength for an edge-setting player. He couldn't do much against the Eagles' third-string tackle in the first preseason game. So, And that's, you know, Andre Dillard just completely shut him down. Sorry not to rub any uh, sore wounds if you're a Texans fan. Still angry about getting sniped for him. Um, and then it's behind that you have guys I think of as roster flotsman Jensen guys who really haven't played a serious role in the NFL. So the Titans are really thin at outside linebacker, uh, which which is a thing that really scares me. I, you know, I'm sight unseen. I'm relatively enthusiastic about Finch, or excuse me, about Landry and Wake. The other guys, um, more than a little worried about, especially Finch wearing down over the course of the season. This probably won't be... 2015 when Derek Morgan got hurt week 13 and they and they had in the last four games they had one of the worst pass defenses you're ever going to see but I'm not convinced it will be that much better than last year's and I think relative going relative to last season going relative to last year going into the season it looks like the Titans are in worse shape last year we just got a worst case scenario Last year was basically the worst-case scenario. This year's worst-case scenario at outside linebacker is even worse. Mm, as you are just saying, um, I'm really excited to watch Harold Landry play this year, uh, like you mentioned, and I'm, hopefully he, he does make that leap from year one to year two. I love his, his speed off the edge, his edge rush, and also he has such a, a great like nose for the football and really great instinct. Like I love watching him defend screen passes. He's able to, he sees the you know, guard take, take off, and he knows immediately where the ball is and then is able to to not even let the quarterback make those throws out to the running back wide receiver sometimes. Yeah, I loved Landry coming out of Boston College. Uh, guys who can bend like that are just, I, I, have, I have a man crush on all of them. It was just that by the first month of the season, teams figured out that, okay, all you have to do is just overset the edge on him, and uh, he's not that hard to block. So it's the, really the the added weight and the developing and the development of a second pass rush move. Uh, Dave McGinnis, the old Cardinals coach, was a is now the Titans radio color analyst, and he was talking about an inside shot move that uh, Landry demonstrated against the Patriots that he'd never seen from him before. And that's the kind of things that gets me really excited about his potential as a pass rusher. Yeah, and I think that's that's one thing that gets missed about edge rushers, and is that you have to have a counter move if it's just outside bend and rip. Uh, you'll get stopped down, you know, eventually. I think Vic Beasley's a really good example of that, of a guy who never figured out a counter move, too. Yeah, uh, uh, maybe just because I I wrote about the Raiders when he was there and then he joined the Titans. Cameron Wimbley is a guy who was a top 10 pick in, back in 2006, but he was a guy who never really developed a second move. And, you know, you can still, if you're really good at that outside dip and rip move, you can still have a long career, but You'll, but like Beasley shows, ultimately you will be stalled and you'll, you, you won't reach your ceiling. Yeah, uh, so I know, I know that they drafted Rashawn Evans in the first round, not last year, but the year before. Uh, do you, what do you think about him? Do you think he has Pro Bowl potential? And how do you like the pairing of him and Jayon Brown as Evans can be more the run stopper and Jayon Brown being more the coverage guy slash uh, blitzer? I think... Pease will really do a lot with Evans this year. He was the guy who he missed a lot of last training camp with a hamstring injury, had a really slow start to the season. You know, mid-year he was not a very good player. He was really slow to 
uh, uh, key and diagnose runs, and he would basically just stand there and get blocked at times. By the end of the year, he was starting to really blow up the run plays, and there's and he's been one of the guys like Landry who's talked about as having made the second year leap. So I, he's never going to be a guy who's really sticky in pass coverage, but he's really effective going forward. And I think with the limited depth at outside linebacker, the Titans will count on him a lot as a rusher. Uh, you'll hear some comparisons between him and Donta Hightower. Don't mm. listen to those. Hightower <laughs> is 30 pounds bigger. Yeah. And Hightower is actually like a surprisingly good edge rusher too. Uh, yeah. I, and, yeah, People yeah. talk about Evans as an edge rusher and an edge setter, and that's not that's not going to be his game if you if you care that much about defending the run. Yeah, and Evans didn't do much pass rushing last year, but based on his profile and you know, watching some of the explosion you see in the run game, I do think that's a, a stone that will be uncovered this year for you know, Dean Pease and his aggressive you know, blitz-heavy defense. Yeah, I th- one of the things, uh, another issue the Titans have is outside of Gerald Casey, they don't really have anybody up front who can rush the passer effectively. And they haven't shown a real interest in adding that type of player, unless you count Simmons, who, won't, who probably won't play this year. So I think what you may see from the Titans is a lot of for a lot of five linebacker sets in base per in and you know they may play some one five five nickel with you know Casey Landry Wake and then getting Evans Jayon Brown and Wesley Woodyard all on the field and letting either Evans or uh, Woodyard rush or or maybe both of them rush and from different positions. Yeah, I would love to see something like that. And especially considering like how good of a how good Casey is at creating open open rushing lanes by being the hammer on stunts and setting up things for by taking on two offensive linemen at the same time and creating loops open for his linebackers. Uh, and I you rarely see like anything while like a one five five, but uh, you see it sometimes in Baltimore and other places. And it's always like really cool and joyous to see those kind of like absurd absurd fronts on third down situations. Yeah, and the other thing I want—I wonder if they do is if they play some more dime defense. That's something that Pease did under Belichick and then some in New England, and they didn't really have the safety depth to do it last year. But uh, fourth-round pick Amani Hooker is uh, a safety. He'll probably back up both Bayard and strong safety Kenny Vaccaro. He'll, he might give them that possibility, and that'll just add more creative options. So I'm hoping for some more that way to help out to help out the lack of depth at outside linebacker and pat in terms of pass rushing up front yeah that, and also mentioning casey and the fact that there's no other you know pass rushing options really there on the defensive line uh, if you look at their depth chart right now it shows daquan jones and nose tackle and he's you know he's a fine run stopper it shows the other defensive end is brent urban and i've always kind of wondered why they never invested in uh, at the defensive line position try to find another interior rusher to pair with Casey, try to put this pass rush over the top. And it seems like they try to do that by drafting Jeffrey Simmons, but Simmons, as you mentioned, is going to probably miss the entirety of the 2019 season. Uh, so looking at that now, looking at this team and kind of the expectations that they placed on themselves, do you find it surprising that they took Simmons in, with their first-round pick and maybe they should have gone and taking, uh, maybe moved up in the draft and taken an edge player like Rashawn Gary or Montez Sweat or uh, somebody along those lines? Yeah, John Robinson has had really been a need, had really been focused on immediate needs and first year impact with his previous first round picks. They drafted Jack Conklin because they needed a right tackle. They drafted Corey Davis because they needed a a wide receiver and a Dory Jackson in the first round because they, excuse me, because they needed a a corner. They drafted. Uh, Evans because they really needed a line, a three down linebacker. That was a need that I saw. That, that was a need that I saw a year in advance. So it was really surprising to see him take a guy who's probably not going to play this year, even at a position where they really needed an impact player. So it, yeah, it was. I was expecting the you know Simmons has, has the potential to be a terrific player. I was expecting him to go somewhere like Miami, where they're not really trying, where they're where yeah. winning this year is optional. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would have been a, a better pick for them as well, too, to grab a smile like that instead of just a, a more of a, a big run stopper uh, defensive line. So the the last question I have for you before I want your prediction 
is that Mike Variable is back as the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, and he's ready to lead his men again. I know as you know, as part of being the part of the Texans universe, we were really like confused by the defenses he ran as the defensive coordinator. Never felt like he did a very good job at all, and we're really surprised whenever he went to Tennessee as the head coach. Uh, but as far as everybody, go, every, everything that you hear about him, they all say he's a great teacher, he's a great leader, he's a great mentor, and that sort of thing. And it seems like those soft skills were the main reason why he got the job as the head coach to be more of a manager than, you know, a, a defensive genius. So, how, what did you think about his rookie season as a head coach? How did he do as far as you know challenges and fourth down decisions go? And what do you think he needs to improve on in the two, in 2019? Uh, I was kind of worried that they hired a guy who, with who is so thinly experienced. Um, you know, he, he had the few years coaching for Urban Meyer, and he had the few years in Texans for, with the Texans, including just one season as a coordinator. So I was like, does this guy have enough experience? Because I don't, because I don't really count playing experience as good as sufficient preparation for being a head coach. And but by, by the maintaining as good as as good as team as they've been was really when really goes a long way to help allay my suspicions the titans did not fall off on a cliff he did not make a bunch of stupid mistakes he didn't he you know he didn't talk about how he'd never watched seven on seven drills before like mike munchak did and it really does seem like he has the soft skills necessary to be an nfl head coach what worries me is the lack of staff and this may sound like a weird thing is the lack of staffing changes from year one to year two because outside of you know lafleur left for green bay Tight ends coach Arthur Smith was promoted to offensive coordinator. They hired a new tight ends coach. That was it in terms of the on-field on-field coaching staff. The only thing he changed up was the strength and conditioning guy, which means he believes he got his first staff absolutely right and perfect. And one of the things that you hear about NFL coaches is, I had I had I knew exactly who I wanted for my first staff and then after the first year I had to make a couple changes and I had to make a couple upgrades here and a couple upgrades there and you know that guy wasn't as effective as preaching my message as the way I wanted as the way I as I wanted him to be so I'm I'm, I'm worried that there are obvious and not so obvious potential issues there and that they're overvaluing staff continuity relative to getting the best possible coach especially after the search for a head coach was somewhere between extremely quiet and sonambulant and they basically sleepwalked through it, hired the obvious internal candidate after no news came out for after a week and a half. When you would expect, when every other opening, when for every other coordinator opening, you hear about multiple people being hired. But maybe the Titans are just really good at information discipline. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. It's if I had to highlight one guy in particular, it's um, it would be wide receivers coach Rob Moore. Uh, the Titans are have been high on Corey Davis. They've been high on Taewon Taylor. They've been looking for a lot from Tajay Sharp. Uh, Moore is a guy who's gotten some pretty bad reviews after they left left Buffalo for the Rams. Both uh, Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins talked about how it it felt like they were finally getting decent coaching, which is a pretty damning thing to say about your old position, which seems like a pretty damning thing to say about your old position coach. And Moore has the has the resume of a guy who is jettisoned as soon as you find somebody you like better. Yeah. Not to, you know, he was a great, he was a great NFL player. I'm sure he's a much better wide receivers coach than I'd be, but (laughs) he's, but he seems like a guy that you could have upgraded on. And it's not like he has strong ties to Vrabel Robinson or Arthur Smith. Yeah. Yeah, it it was interesting. The high, I mean, the malarkey thing I think was even more interesting than the Vrabel thing because, like you mentioned, there was no news, and then they just kind of brought him on, and he was kind of lame duck, and then he actually, and then he actually won a playoff game. They fired him anyways, and uh, it's been kind of a weird trajectory for the Titans to to get to Mike Vrabel to begin with. And it was I, th- the Vrabel hiring process was 
it was clear that they, like the malarkey hiring process, it was clear they had a favorite candidate in mind, and it was clear that there was no real search involved. Yeah. Uh, and I really hope they got it right because I don't trust that this is a good way to learn about anything. <laughs> well, those are high hopes there. Uh, so for the for the 2019 season for the Tennessee Titans, uh, what's your prediction for their record? Where do you think they finished in the AFC South? And how do you think their season ends? Uh, you know, they look like a pretty average team. And the schedule isn't as good as they were last year, so I'll probably say I'll. I reserve the right to do to change my mind when I write my full season prediction column after the after after final roster cutdowns. But right now, I'm thinking eight and eight, and I don't. And that'll probably be second or third in the AFC South, depending on to what extent Houston and Jacksonville get their act together. Uh, Jacksonville, it's whether. They can present, They can maintain the locker room and have a really strong defense and get enough out of an offense that has a lot that has a lot of areas to improve, but needs to be just recover from the disaster that that last year was to really return to playoff contention. And Houston, you know, you know the issues with the Texans better than I am up front, and then how solvent making sure that they play as well on defense as the presence of or potential presence of some really good players makes you think they can play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote uh, a season preview for the Titans, but post tomorrow and I had them at eight and eight as well too. I do think like performance wise, I think like their point differential will be better. I think they, I think they have the potential. I think they'll have probably like the, you know, maybe seventh or even fifth best rushing offense if Derek Henry stays healthy. I think their defense will slightly improve this year just because Arakpo and Morgan were so non-existent last season. But I do think they win a game less because the schedule is tougher, and they, they said 8-8 eight eight as well. Yeah, it's – and the other thing is they have the potential to be a better team and, fin- and not be as and – and not finish as well. It's sort of – I thought 2016 and 2017 that both teams finished 9-7, and seven, but uh, the 20 – but – I think everybody would every everybody in Tennessee would agree the 2016 team was better, and if it was just that the 2017 got the right had the right tiebreakers that nine and seven made the playoffs and they were able to win a close playoff game and make it to the second and make it to the divisional round for the first time and uh, not since 2008. So it was just you know that's just the way that's the way it, that's just the way it breaks sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the joys of small sample sizes. I, I think that's one of the, fundamental, one of the fun, fundamental things that you kind of learn once you start diving into the numbers for the NFL is that the small sample size can just wreck wonders on a season and how much that can affect a year, uh, affect the team's year you know, every single season potentially. Or for sure, I should say. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah but, you know, it, 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 should be an, it should be an interesting watch. This isn't one of those teams from a few years ago where – there's no reason to really get that into the season. <laughs> that, well, that's the best, uh, I, I guess the best way to describe tying up I've ever heard. So I, I am excited to watch the Titans as well too. And at least they're like, they're more interesting this year than I felt. I, I, I was interested in them last year with the whole LaFleur thing, but their offense turned out to be really boring. And this year I think if, D, if he's more aggressive and then Mary, like every time you have a rookie quarterback who may be on it oh, at the end of his, at the end of his like last chance to start, that's always an interesting storyline too. Uh, so I don't know if you have anything else that you want to plug at all uh, for us that we should check out, or uh, or you can let us know in that season previews to be posted when and where. But I would love to hear more about what you have uh, upcoming for the 2019 season and where we can find it. Yeah, um, big thing is the book Football Outsiders Almanac 2019. It's available for twenty dollars in a PDF on the site www.footballoutsiders.com, or you can find a, a dead tree version on amazon i think it's listed for 28 or 29.95 and amazon normally has it discounted uh also at football outsiders you can find our kubiak fantasy football projection system customizable and regularly updated and we've now switched to a web interface so you don't have to keep downloading an excel file every uh, and reinstalling your settings every time 
every time we update. So it's it's a lot easier to use. It's a lot nicer. It's a lot more fun to play with. Um, I do most of my chiming in these days on Twitter, where I'm found at Thomas Gower, last name G-O-W-E-R. Um, my uh, the season preview post I'll do is on will be from my personal site. You can find a link to that in my Twitter profile. I don't post on there very much these days, but that'll be up there. And then I hope to finish before the start of the season something related to my Colts chapter. Uh, I took a concept developed by college football stats guy Bill Connolly, who was associated with us recently hired by ESPN called Havoc Rate, which looks at how disruptive defenses are and found that the Colts were not, did not rank that highly in Havoc Rate. So as their, as their slate of opposing offenses gets a lot tougher, their defense probably won't be as good. Interesting. And uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to do with that subject and I'm hoping to do, and I'm hoping to show more of that uh in a in something before the season but i need to finish that research and then write that up still okay cool yeah i'll, I'll look forward to to reading that and yeah you mentioned if you haven't buy the book it's really great and then also if you want uh if any sort of counting stats I always make sure to subscribe for like the premium dvoa database and also all the charting data where you can get the pressures and uh, the the success rate for defensive backs and all the other really great numbers that you have at the book at the end of the year, but now they're able to update it throughout the week. And I, I really like it because it's more of an objective look at those sort of uh, numbers that aren't, quantify, aren't quantifying the box score. And it's worth checking out as well too, especially considering the Kubiak package that comes along with it in the book too. Yep. It's, I don't do, I don't necessarily do a ton with the, uh, charting stats during the season outside of the really big team ones like especially pressure rate for both offense and defense but it's nice that we finally have that available thanks to our uh, partnership with sports info solutions who collects all of that data for us yeah well um, thanks for being on tonight tom i'll be on the lookout for uh, your your final preview and uh, and thank you for the prediction for the titans uh, thank you for listening to Valve Radio, everybody. My name is Matt Weston. And uh, be on the lookout for other AFC South preview podcasts and also posts as we get closer to the 2019 NFL season.